uh, would you turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. Matthew, chapter 7. We have been, as a church, studying for many weeks now through the letter to the Hebrews, and for the next uh, two weeks, we're going to take a break outside of that letter, as next week we have uh, opportunity for our Global Outreach Weekend, and this morning. And I believe that uh, the Lord had put this passage in the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, uh, on my heart for my own heart and life, and through prayer uh, and the work of the Spirit, I believe, for us as a church as well. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is teaching a multitude. He has laid out many things for these people to hear, many things that are challenging. He is painting for them uh, the the ethic of those who want to live in the kingdom of God. He's describing uh, what it means to be a true disciple of his, to live the way that he commands us to live. And he says this in the beginning of chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and for the teaching that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that by your spirit you would give us uh, humble hearts and eyes to see the clarity of your word, that it may work to bring transformation in our lives, that where your word may bring conviction to our souls, that it will be met with grace that comes through the gospel and with the Spirit's empowering for us to let conviction bring change in our lives. I ask, Lord, that as we study this this morning, that you would speak and that we would hear. In Jesus' name, amen. This text that Jesus brings to these many followers is meant to to draw a line with some clarity to what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. He has said many challenging things through this few chapters in Matthew's gospel. A large crowd has gathered around Jesus, and he wants this crowd to understand how it is to be true followers of his. 
His teaching makes it clear what is the heart and the mind and the life of the true disciple. And this teaching is not easy. This teaching is difficult. Because those who are true disciples, they are those who are truly committed to transformation. If you've been with us through our teaching in the letter of Hebrews, you have seen, and last week we saw in particular, that the power of the Spirit to transform a person into a true believing, committed Christian is to give them a new heart with new desires, and that they would live a life of transformation. And Jesus, in this, as it's called, the Sermon on the Mount, is giving the ethic of what that looks like to live a transformed life. And here, in these few verses, he throws out this illustration and this command in verse 1 for those who are true disciples to not judge. Now, this may be the most popular verse among non-church-going people in our culture. (laughs) I think maybe all of us have bumped into a situation where somebody has quoted this verse in some manner back to us to tell us Christians that we can't have moral opinions put on others or we can't uh, walk through things and discern what is right and wrong. Judge not, lest you be judged. And so I think what we need to do is take seriously this text and the rest of the New Testament's teaching on this topic of judging others to discern what is our responsibility as Christians, as those who want to be true followers of Jesus. When it comes to judgment, what is our responsibility? How are we to think rightly about these things. When is a judgment appropriate? When is it inappropriate? How in my own life and in my own heart am I judging in ways that would be condemned by this text? How can I be encouraged to proceed with loving biblical judgment where it is necessary? So our main point this morning is that the Christian does have a responsibility, has a responsibility to judge rightly because because we live for the one righteous judge. God our Father is the one righteous judge, and therefore we as his children who are eager to follow him need to understand what right judgment looks like and what unrighteous judgment looks like. So Jesus, in this teaching, he starts out in verse 1 that we, he makes it very clear, we are not to judge. But this word that he uses to judge can be translated many different ways. And so context is crucial for our understanding of what he is talking about in our text. Judge not. He has a particular kind of judging in mind because we know this. Because throughout the rest of the New Testament, there are many other portions of Scripture where the Christian is called to exercise judgment. Where the true follower of Jesus is put in a position where judgment is necessary. Even in our text, by the time Jesus gets to verse 6, 
Do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. He's requiring some sort of judgment there of what we must discern. He, he goes further on in verse 15 of this very chapter and he begins to describe that we can know someone by the fruit that they bear in their lives. We will recognize them by their fruits. That, that requires judgment on the part of the true Christian. Further on in, in Matthew's gospel in chapter 18, we have the description of of the church's responsibility to exercise discipline among its members. That when sin is exchanged between one member and another, it's the responsibility of the true follower to go to a brother, to a sister in their fault, to show them their sin with care and love. We commit together as a church to that sort of judgment in our fellowship. We have the example of Paul over and over again exhorting the church to exercise judgment, and we see him do this himself in Galatians chapter 2. He goes to Peter, yeah, the apostle Peter, and exercises judgment for the behavior of Peter that is not appropriate. In John's gospel, Jesus says these words, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So we have this question before us this morning. How do we know when judgment is righteous or unrighteous? How do we know when our judgment is righteous and unrighteous? What kinds of judgment should we make and what kinds of judgment are we responsible to not make? The ethics of the New Testament calls for wisdom and discernment to be exercised by the Christian. For us to understand when judgment is appropriate or inappropriate, we, we take the wisdom of the scriptures and exercise discernment in the situation. And I believe, I've felt this by the work of the Spirit in my own life, that God wants to call us to greater intentionality to this pursuit of godly judgment. I believe God wants to open our eyes to look at our own hearts and our own lives and to identify areas of unrighteous judgment and call us to humble repentance. And God wants to draw our attention to areas in our lives where we must exercise righteous judgment carried out in love in humility, with patience towards others. Now, to be clear, when Jesus says, judge not, in this text, he is not talking about the judgment that the Bible makes when it comes to things that are right and wrong. This is not about areas of, of sin and righteousness in themselves. The Bible is clear on the principles put forth that, that give us a biblical worldview where we can identify and call something wrong and call something right. The Bible's clear that we should be shaped by the principles and the teaching of the text to identify ungodly ideologies of which are prevalent in our culture today. 
We can look out into our world, into our culture, and we can discern clearly what is unbiblical, what is ungodly, and we should cast judgment on such things as wrong. This text, though, is not about that kind of judgment. This, this is about addressing the critical, self-righteous, prideful judgment of other individuals. The, the personal judgments that well up in our hearts and minds for other persons and to identify and work those out. And I think the burden that this text has for us this, this morning, the burden that I have felt by it is, I think we often fail to recognize the damage done to our own souls when we formulate unrighteous judgment of others. I think we at times can think that if I have judgment of another individual, but that judgment is not shared with others or cast personally on that individual, but just kept to my own thoughts, that uh, it doesn't matter. And I think it's important for us to realize that it matters big time. It causes damage to our own hearts. It, it not only hinders our ability to love others, but it, it, it hinders our ability to understand the grace of God in our lives and in the lives of others. It hardens our own hearts to see the faults in our own lives. And where God wants to extend grace to us, we all want God to extend grace to us. And the formulation of unrighteous judgment of others calluses over our ability to receive God's grace in our lives. Listen to how uh, Charles Spurgeon speaks of it when he says, of unrighteous judgment, he says, it does us much hurt to judge our neighbors because it flatters our conceit and our pride grows quite fast enough without feeding it. We accuse others to excuse ourselves. There is damage done to our hearts when unrighteous judgment of others is present. And so this morning, I want us to use God's word and, and I offer up six uh, filters or six marks to identify when judgment uh, is righteous or unrighteous. So for those taking notes, there'll be six of these. Well, hopefully we'll throw them up on the screen for you. Six filters to, to take judgment in our lives, to, to push them through, to discern, is this righteous or unrighteous? The first filter. Our judgment should not be habitual, but only as needed. Our judgment should not be habitual, but only as needed. We are not to be people who are habitually looking to pass judgment on others, on their words, on their actions, on the practices of their lives. Some of us have developed an eye for finding all the ways to be critical of others. We have become experts 
at the faults, failings, shortcomings of other people, and we are quick to spot those things out. And it has developed in us a habit of criticism and judgment of others. See, this not only leads to this habit of harsh judgment, but it causes all sorts of judgments to surface when they're not necessary. And I'm sad to say I've found in my own life that this is a pattern that at times has developed. And even more sad, I find that this pattern has developed with certain individuals themselves. Certain people where I have this critical eye for every little thing that they may do or say. And if I'm not careful at watching my heart and my mind, I can slip into these patterns of fault finding and quick judgment, even with particular individuals, where everything they do seems to just rub me the wrong way. And I find that I judge them. We are not to develop a habit of this, a pattern in our lives. We are to look out for this. What do I what do I see most easily? Do I see the faults and sins of others most easily or the grace of God at work in their life? We are to judge not habitually but as needed. When is judgment needed? We read through our Bibles, we find that judgment is needed when there is relationship between us. Again and again, when the New Testament calls for Christians to go to other Christians and, and help them in their sin, we always find that that takes place where relationship is present, where Righteous judgment comes is where relationship is already found. When we see those that we know who are caught in sin, then we go to them to help them. This means that judgment of others where there is no relationship, judgment that's condemning and critical, that's not needed. If we don't have relationship with an individual in such a way that we can lovingly and carefully bring judgment to them, then it is an unnecessary judgment. Listen to what Paul says uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. He says these words to the church. He says, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you. Paul says the aspiration should be to mind your own business. How many of us at times have been caught up looking far, far outside of our own business to cast critical judgment of others? How many of us would experience a decrease in judgments past if we use this filter question of, is that really any of my business? I want you to know how much I want to be sitting out there during this sermon. <laughs> Don't judge me. 
When we see judgment welling up in us of others, ask the question, is this necessary? Out of care and love. And, and where it isn't, push it through this filter and ask God to work with you. Let's, let's move on. Number two. Second filter. We do not want our judgment to be inconsistent, but it must come with humble self-assessment. This is really Jesus' point in the illustration of our text. When he says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Strong word. You hypocrite. Jesus is highlighting the often times where unrighteous judgment comes with inconsistency in our own lives. Where we so easily see the wrongs of others and fail to see how we fail in the same ways. We need to be able to see ourselves with, with a humble self-assessment in order to, to lovingly care for others in right judgment. Paul's making this point in Romans chapter 2. He says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourselves, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Where we find judgment caused in others, where we can see it, we must ask ourselves, do I practice the very same things? We must have a humble self-assessment in our own hearts in order to judge others consistently and with care. Listen, if we are not so burdened by our own sins, we have no business burdening ourselves with other sins. Now this is not to say that we must be perfect or that we will never be in a position to call out a friend because I always have my own wrongdoings and I can never go to anyone, but it's not saying that. It, it wants this filter of honest assessment of our own failures. And Jesus says this, in order to see clearly, to care for our brother and sister in their time of need, we cannot see clearly how to help with right judgment if we don't see our own hearts well with humble self-assessment. We need an honest evaluation of our own hearts, and that gives us, listen, it gives us the appropriate empathy to see clearly the sins of others. I'm learning this principle more and more as it becomes more and more critical in my mind when it comes to parenting. There is a real truth to uh, the principle that children learn um, much more what is caught than what is taught. That's not how I often function in my parenting. I think long extended lectures will serve the souls of my kids best. I have this 
image of children eagerly sitting, waiting for the next sentence from their wise father that will straighten their hearts out. And how often I have lectured for minutes at length only to have them observe 30 seconds of my behavior and it all be undone. It's true. But I want my kids, I want my kids to know and understand what grace and forgiveness is. And so here's what I've come to discover in my parenting. Some of the most meaningful times as a parent that I have had is when I've gone to my children and told them I was wrong and asked for their forgiveness to have a humble self-assessment and how that has led to conversations about their own struggles. We need to see ourselves rightly in order to judge rightly. Number three, the third filter. Our judgment must not be presumptuous, but it must be filled with charity. Our judgment must not be presumptuous, but it must be filled with charity. We must not put ourselves in the position to impute motives to the words and actions of others. We do not know their hearts. We, to have right judgment, are to embrace a kind and generous interpretation of the actions of others. We're to be careful not to bring concluding judgments without complete knowledge of the situation. Proverbs 18, 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. We assign motives to others, to their hearts, to their actions, when we observe a little bit of behavior without knowing all the details, the full story. We're presumptuous with this. How often have you or have seen others make judgments of the actions or words of another person only to find out later more information that completely changes the situation? The full story comes in and you realize how quick, rash, and presumptuous your judgment was. Our judgment of the person and the situation, it can totally change when this comes. John 7 verse 51 says, does not our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? We so easily see the wrong behaviors of others. And, and listen, we can see the sin of others and presume upon them a judgment and we can know nothing of the temptations that they struggle with. How did they get there? They are in such a sticky, sinful situation, and it's, it's easy, it's real easy, to presume upon them a judgment and never consider the struggle that got them to that place. Charitable judgment, it calls for us to give others the benefit of the doubt. Pastor Tim Shorey, our friend in Sovereign Grace, he says this, since God alone knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart, 
He alone can judge what people are really thinking and why they are really doing the things they do. It is not our prerogative to judge others, people's motives and actions badly. Instead, we are to judge others charitably. Do we extend charity when we see others stuck in sin to give them the benefit of the doubt in the situation? Is that our disposition? And just a side note here, I think it's important for us to be aware of how much uncharitable judgment we are consuming through media and the culture. How much of what we consume with what we are watching, with what we are listening to, is filled with uncharitable judgment. And oftentimes we continue on it because maybe we, we agree with some conclusions, but we, we look over the path of uncharitable judgment that, that spews at us consistently and constantly through TV and podcasts and the radio. And I think we don't recognize how damaging that can be to our own souls and how easily that can tamp down our ability to be charitable and to extend grace. Won't it be nice to turn the TV on this coming Wednesday and not be inundated with ridiculous political attack ads. And they are ridiculous. But that's all they are, is uncharitable judgment of others. Yes, there may be points made and positions, but all it comes through is uncharitable judgment. And if we don't push that through a filter, it can, it can grow on our own hearts and tamp down our ability, the, the Christian's ability who has been flooded with the grace of God to extend that grace to others. I have deleted podcasts where I have seen this at work in my own heart. How quick I have then thought of another individual, seen another individual, and, and seen it just come out so easily and quickly, this judgment that's harsh. Without charity. The principle of charitable judgment calls us to think the best of others. This does not mean to be naive, but it does mean to extend grace. To have a category of best intentions generously opened up to others. Siblings, brothers and sisters, how much of your relationship with your brother and sister would be marked by charitable judgment? Or how much do you think that what they did was because they absolutely hate you and want the worst for the rest of your afternoon. (laughs) 
Brothers and sisters, we must learn to extend charitable judgment to one another. To think the best and not the worst. Filter number four. Our judgment, our judgment must not be with eager delight, but with sober sorrow. 1 Corinthians 13.6 speaks of love and says that it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with truth. The heart of love is misplaced when there is even the simplest pleasure found in the faults and failures of others. Do you notice this in your life where you see the the stumbling of others, and you would never say it out loud, but there is that bit of your heart that delights in it, that takes pleasure in the failures of others, when the sins of others can be highlighted because when we can highlight the sin of others, we can hide our own behind the curtain. And so there's a little bit, there's a little bit in our hearts, maybe more than we realize, that, that wants to find ways to lift up the failures of others so ours can be kept in the dark. This is one of the reasons why we find gossip so appealing and why it is so dangerous. Gossip, the spreading of the failures and faults of others, highlighted. There's some delight. Proverbs speaks of it this way. The words of a whisper or the gossip are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. When gossip comes around, there's, there's something that, that has, has us causing to lean in with a bit of delight. Because these delicious morsels of unrighteous judgment and gossip of others, they satisfy the appetite of pride in our lives. And they perpetuate the lie that our sinful nature craves that I'm not as bad as them. That I can't believe they would do that. I would never. Oh, how careful we need to be with that word never and have this category that but for the grace of God, there go I. When we see the faults and sins of others, beware of the desire for a bit of delight in it because where we delight in the failures of others, we are blind to the damage that it does to our own souls in feeding our pride and diminishing sin that is present in our own hearts. Sorrow over the sins of others and the damage that it causes leads us to right judgment. Sin is destructive. The very nature of sin separates from God. That's what sin does. And so sin in others is heartbreaking. It's sorrowful because it's, it's separating them from, from the joyous, wonderful fellowship that they are meant to have with God himself. 
And so when we see sin in others, we should be soberly sorrowful over it in order to judge rightly. The fifth filter. Our judgment must not be trivial, but biblically relevant. It must not be trivial, but biblically relevant. We are not to judge others on irrelevant matters, but on things that are of vital importance. We should not judge others because of minor issues. Jesus says, don't judge on appearance. Do we have the habit of casting judgment on others because of the hobbies they take up, the movies they watch, the diet they have, the clothes they wear, the rhythms of life, the practices they allow their kids to engage in, and we think that's not how I would do things, how I would dress, how I, what I would eat. And it formulates in our minds unrighteous judgment of them. Are we careful in our own homes that there is not an atmosphere of trivial judgment happening back and forth where there is just nitpicking because they don't load the dishwasher the way that you load the dishwasher? Do we allow little things like that, though, to grow over time and to stack up a case in our hearts and minds that, that cause us to be abrasive in our relationships with unrighteous judgment? Be, beware of these things. Be careful of these things. Over time, those things will, will swallow up the grace that we should have for one another. Paul when he went to Peter to call him out, he says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, then I said, and called them to attention. His filter was not over trivial matters, but he saw things that were not in step with the truth of that is what led him to righteous Judgment Is this our filter? Do we see things in others, and when judgment starts to rise in us, can we put the sticker on there that that is not in step with the truth of the gospel? If not, hold back judgment. But if it does, in humble assessment, in love and in patience, we go to our brothers and our sisters. The sixth filter. And final one, righteous judgment must not be destructive but constructive. We must consider the aim of our judgments. What is the aim of this judgment that I am making? Is it for the sake of building up or is it only meant to tear down? So much of our judgment at times, I believe, is simply to tear down. Why do we do this? Because when we tear down, we can build ourselves up. So do we just make quick judgment, throw out words, and they're only meant to point out the faults of others and to tear them down? Do we say things out of anger and frustration and jealousy only to highlight the faults of others to tear them down? 
Paul informs the church in Galatians. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Restore in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Is our judgment of others aimed at building up and restoring out of loving care for them? So, these six filters are meant to serve us in this, but they are not meant to condemn us. I think that there is, if we were paying attention, we could find ourselves throughout the list, or maybe in all six. Maybe you received a few elbows from your spouse, which is why I'm up here. So then, how do we apply this? Because we're not to be condemned to discouragement in this area. We're meant to identify and purge, but proceed in right judgment. Let me just give you a few ways that we can grow in righteous judgment. One, we must prayerfully repent where we identify unrighteous judgment in our lives. This is not an idea, it's an activity. It's something we are meant to do. Where we see unrighteous judgment in our lives, we must be willing to turn that over in prayerful repentance to the Lord, to confess our sin. And it's not just when our unrighteous judgment spills out to the ears of others, but even when it comes to our own thoughts, like when you're driving, and that other person clearly, intentionally cuts you off because they hate you and there's no other reason why. <laughs> there's no other reason why they would want me to have to move my foot four inches over from this pedal to that pedal and waste an extra 13 seconds of my day. Clearly, they have the worst intentions in mind. Even then, when that judgment comes, you call them whatever you call them in the quiet of your own car, it's an opportunity for prayerful repentance right then and there. And over time, it, it stirs in us the grace that God has given us himself in the gospel to extend to others. And it will go better with your soul as a practice in your life. The spirit will begin to purge our hearts from all these opportunities of unrighteous judgment. It's a habit of grace and the spirit will affect maturity and transformation in our lives. Another way to grow in righteous judgment, we must spend time in the school of righteousness. Here's the curriculum. 
God is the teacher, Jesus is the example. Study it. See what righteous judgment looks like. Watch the life of Jesus. Listen to the instruction of Paul in these letters. See the principles of the New Testament play out and then apply them in their lives. Listen, there's a whole other school out there that wants to teach you another way. But we want to be those who emulate our Father who is the righteous judge and live lives of right judgment. So spend time in the school of righteousness. Consider the empowering work of the Spirit. God, the Spirit, indwells the Christian to empower them in the transformed life, to, to open our eyes, to give us eyes to see areas of weakness and sin in our lives, and to identify areas of grace and God at work in others. Call on the Spirit to work in your life. Spend time in prayer each day that the Spirit would reveal to you these realities that you might judge rightly and save your soul. And final and maybe most helpful, how do we grow in righteous judgment? Think again and again of the judgment Jesus received in your place. Think again and again of the substitutionary work that Jesus received in your place, removing the judgment that you deserved. We can live in the good of the gospel. When we have sorrow over our sin, we are not to despair over it, but again and again to cast our eyes to Calvary and receive the grace of God that comes through Jesus Christ dying in our place. And there our hearts are filled with the reality of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. We have an understanding of amazing grace offered to sinners and it reorients our perspective on life. It sets us free from sinful patterns of unrighteous judgment and fills us with the fuel needed to judge rightly with grace, mercy, and love toward others. Look again at Jesus and what he has done for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your truth, for your word, which at times is exposing and clarifying in our own hearts and lives. And we thank you for the overwhelming mercy and grace extended to us through Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King. We want to be those who walk in the ways of him. We want to be those who live in the good of the gospel. Would you fill us? Would you help us? May it go well with our souls for our own joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.